is religion good for the world? Has religion done more good or more harm? Hmm? Uh, yes. <laughs> in, in two areas, I think. One is violence, particularly against Jews. So we know firsthand discrimination, um, forced conversion, expulsions, all religious or religiously motivated. But then there's another thing. It's the dumbing down. To keep people religious, you keep them ignorant. And that's, that's, a, that's, that's a crime. Without any doubt. So those two, those two uh, faults, or glaring faults. On the other hand, would we have survived without religion? Would there, would there still be a human race? If there wasn't at least some idea that thou shalt not kill? So it's a mixed bag, really. It's like, you love it or you hate it. You know, becoming an atheist really has nothing to do with God. It has to do with religion. So religion turns pe some people on, it turns a lot of people off. Unfortunately, it turns them off to God. So here's, here's our, our little secret, which we don't want to keep secret. Judaism was never a religion, and, and it shouldn't be seen as a religion. It was God's communication with the world, which people turned into religion. But if you read from cover to cover, the entire 22 books of the Bible, there is no word for religion. There's no such word. You either love God, fear God, or hate God. I mean, that, that, that's it. If you love God, you're good. If you hate him, you're bad. There is no word for religion. Modern Hebrew has a word for it. But in biblical Hebrew, there is no such word. So the Jews who gathered at Mount Sinai after coming out of Egypt, who received the Ten Commandments, did they become religious? No. That came much later. So uh, you see Jews practicing Jewish law. They're not being religious. It's not a religion, or at least it shouldn't be. Unfortunately, uh, you know, after thousands of years of exposure to other religions, we got stuck with the label. So, so Judaism is your religion. Well, no, it's just who we are. Okay, so that's your religion. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> Can't argue. You know, like we're stuck with that word. But And one of the differences, I think significant, religion has for all practical purposes, aside from the theology, which, you know, every theology sounds wonderful, but for all practical purposes, religion has become the um, access to heaven. 
if you live a certain way, if you behave a certain way, you'll get some spiritual benefits, usually after you die. That has become religion. So getting to heaven is kind of the uh, center of attraction, the central attraction, to being religious. You want to be saved from hell. You want to go to heaven. You want to have a good seat and be among the saints when they come marching in. But Judaism has a completely opposite objective. We don't want to go to heaven. Thank you very much. Much rather stay right here. Because Judaism is about bringing God down to earth, not bringing people to heaven. That's so different. It changes everything. First of all, it's not about us. It's not where I'm going to end up. It's not what's going to happen to me. And it's not what I can become. It's what I can do for him. Because he is not excited about being in heaven. Which is really a good reason for us not to be excited either. If he wants to be on earth, why are you going to heaven? So it's really about serving God's purpose. God created the world for it to be holier than heaven. Because first he created heaven and was not content and continued to create earth, which means there's something about earth more interesting than heaven to him. So that's what the Bible really is all about. So having God come and help you and save you and protect you and bless you, and it's beside the point. God is not our personal valet. <laughs> He's not there to help me, because he was there first. He's older than me. <laughs> so we are here to serve him. Well, that, first of all, makes life on earth much more interesting. There is no better place. We don't want to go to a better place, because this is, this is where all the action is. Secondly, God is more real and God is more present in your life if your whole life is serving him. The biggest question in life is, what can I do for him? What does he need? If you want to get theological about it, why does he need? He's God. It's a fascinating relationship that he infinite, eternal, all-powerful, needs us, tiny, in, insignificant little creatures. What kind of relationship is this? It's amazing. And um, if there is hope for this world, rather than escaping this world to a better world, if there's hope for this world, we, we have to make it happen. If we're each trying to get to heaven in our own way, we have no tolerance for others. But if we're all here to serve him, that's, that's a uniting uh, ingredient or factor. If we don't all serve him, then the plan doesn't work. So you can't be content 
being religious in your own little community because that's not what God needs. He needs the world to become good, not just your neighborhood or your family. So if we're really concerned with God's purpose or God's plan, you've got to be interested in everybody in the world because if two people in the world don't know about God, this is not his world. This is not the world as he would like it. So the openness, the the uh, the honesty or the or the the interest in having you come and ask and look and be invited into a circumcision. We have a circumcision, no? Can I, can we arrange one? <laughs> it's because if we're going to make the world better, it it's got to be everybody, everybody. Because no one was created for nothing. Every human being is essential to the plan. But everybody's got to do their share. Otherwise, plan is not working. So that, that common purpose, that common mission that we all have, is really a, a very strong uniting factor. And like you say, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. On the contrary... No two people are exactly the same. Otherwise, they'd be redundant. I once read this article on business. This big uh, businessman says, I don't hire people who agree with me. Makes me nervous. Because one of us isn't necessary. So God didn't create any two people that agree exactly alike, who have exactly the same experience, background, personality, strengths and weaknesses. So when each of us serves God, it's a, it's a unique relationship because there's no one quite like you. First of all, belief is a strange concept. What exactly does it mean that you believe? What does that mean? You think, you hope, you guess, you accept. What does it mean to believe in something? I think the most practical definition is some things are true whether you believe it or not. That's called belief. So belief doesn't mean I'm a great believer, I have strong faith. Belief means it doesn't matter whether you believe it, it's true anyway. We all have that. You can't escape that. Some things are true, whether you like it or not. The question is, what? Taxes and death? That's a pretty sad, pretty sad belief. So belief doesn't mean I have a faith and I am faithful and I am a believer. Too, too much self-awareness here. Too, too much belief means What's true is true, even if I don't believe it. So, do we believe in heaven and hell? Even if you don't believe it, when you die, you go somewhere. So, what do you know about what happens? So it's not a matter of belief. 
I mean, we have enough evidence from people who have died and, or near death. So we know there's something on the other side. Who wouldn't be curious to find out more about it? So yes, we've always believed in heaven and hell. But no, we haven't emphasized it because that should not be your motivation. If you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. Well, if you treat your parents nicely, they love you. If you don't, they hate you. I mean, like, come on. Where's the mystery here? So here's a fascinating way of looking at heaven and hell. What survives death is your soul, because your body dies. So what survives is your soul, which contains all the memories, experiences, feelings, personality, character. It's all the soul. The body is just a body. So when you survive 80 or 90 years in a body, and suddenly you're not a body anymore, that adjustment can be very painful for the soul. It's embarrassing. It's a soul now, but it still feels like a body. After a while, it forgets or detaches from its experience in the body, and now it's just a pure soul again. But that adjustment is hell. So it's not like God created a place and stokes the fires and, and demons with pitchforks. There's just a soul. You can't stab a soul. You can't burn a soul. But a soul can be very sensitive and embarrassed by its own um, the difficulty of shedding the body's experiences, and going back to being a soul. So that adjustment is hell. Everybody goes through adjustment. Some more, some less, depending on how, how thoroughly attached you became to the physical. If you had a spiritual side to you even while you were alive, the readjustment is not so difficult. <clears throat> so somebody put it very, very concisely. Getting to heaven is hell. <laughs> yeah. It's like getting a degree. You go through hell to get it, no? The entire revelation at Sinai was about God. And it's called revelation because what was revealed was Him. Who is he? What does he want? Why did he create the world? How can we serve him? That's, that's the Bible. When we turn it into a religion, and it becomes, so how do I become a saint? Am I going to go to heaven? You're missing the point. God is saying, can you invite me down to earth? And you're saying, yeah, but will I get to heaven? You're not communicating. So I think the idea is that stop going to heaven. Settle down. <laughs> this is the place. Here's where we serve God. Look into the Bible. What does it say? How to serve him. That's all it's it. it for the Jews, there are 613 commandments. He showed us 10. They look good. 
we signed the contract and somehow it became 613. There are actually seven commandments. Six were given to Adam and Eve, and the seventh was added after the flood to Noah. Those seven commandments make a person righteous in God's eyes because it serves God's purpose. And those are universal. Whatever else you want to do to serve God, like pray five times a day, three times a day, once a week, or whatever, fine. People are different. They have different spiritual appetites. But those seven commandments, if you do them, you're good. And if you don't do them, do them. So how do we serve God? The things that we assume or claim to be our own ideas like, thou shalt not kill, murder. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know that. No, you don't know that. It's his need that we not kill each other. So even if you have a good reason to kill somebody, there are good reasons. <laughs> but he doesn't want it. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't be cruel to animals. Don't worship false gods. These are his needs, not yours. So I had the student say, I don't need God to tell me what's right or wrong. I know what's right and wrong. I said, really? Like, give me an example. What's wrong? He says, murder. I said, did you come up with that yourself? <laughs> Is that an original idea? You know, 3,000 years ago, if you said that, I would be very impressed. But when the Ten Commandments have been around for 3,000 years, I think you may have heard that somewhere. <laughs> So why are you claiming it as your idea? That's just a matter of honesty. But more than that, claiming it, claiming it as our idea makes it a social law, not a divine law. And that's not good. Social laws are made by societies. There are societies that make very bad laws. So it can't be a social, human agreement. Let's get together and agree not to kill each other. Okay, this week, next week, how, for how long? <laughs> for how long won't we kill each other? See, if it's human, it's subject to change. If it's divine, it's a whole different thing. So even the most common moral principles that we have are his idea. This is what he needs from us, including, this is a little surprising, honor your father and mother. Now, you need to do that. There are plenty of human reasons, like the will. <laughs> you want to be in the will? Honor your parents. But when God says, honor your parents, he's telling you that he needs it. He needs it more than you need it. So if you're studying religion or theology, here's the main point that we need to figure out or explain. We are not the needy party. That's selfish, it's self-centered, it's narcissistic. 
We have needs God better provide. No. Since we didn't create the world, we are not the needy ones. He is needy. We're just guests in the world that he needs. That's a pretty dramatic change from conventional thinking. God needs us more than we need him. When did we when did we lose sight of that? When did we become the center of the universe? And I know there are quotes in the Bible that make it sound like he is here for us. He is. But that's because he's really nice. That's not why he created the world. So we really need to be serving him, not demanding more service from him. And and this may not make any sense, but it's true anyway. (laughs) And intuitively, it it sounds right. It can't be that we are the center. He creates us with a bunch of needs and then promises to take care of our needs if we behave a certain way. What kind of deal is that? It's, it's, it's cruel. So how do we make the world better? Make it his kind of world. He doesn't like murder. He doesn't like lying. He doesn't like false witnesses. He doesn't like when you mistreat your parents. So it may seem like we're just being human. But we're not. We're being godly. Because on a human level, what's wrong with killing a few people? There are too many anyway. Let's be practical, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. For a simple reason. If we're going to be in a relationship, and it is a relationship, so that even the word commandment is an inappropriate translation. Because in a relationship, you don't have commandments. Right? What are the commandments of marriage? You don't get to have commandments. Or it's not a relationship, or it's a, it's a dictatorship or whatever. Since we are in a relationship, we have a choice. Either we take the feminine position and give him the masculine or we take the masculine and give him the feminine. It would be really dangerous if we take the masculine. In fact, there were religions that had a female god. They didn't last long. They became so violent. So much better, he should be the masculine, the aggressor, the mover and the shaker. We'll be the she. A much better deal. And obviously, God is not a he and he's not a she. So, in our relationship, we take on those roles. So, it's not that he's limited to being a he. But in our interaction, we, we let him be the he and we take the she. So, by... Now, people say, obviously, men created religion, and that's why God is a he. 
I don't think so. If men created religion, God would be a she. <laughs> we don't worship men. We worship women. <clears throat> so it must have been a woman who wrote the Bible. <clears throat> so it's not, it's not an absolute statement that he is a he. Relative to us, because we, because we want to be the she. Somebody asked uh, during the Inquisition when Christianity was so violent and so... And somebody said, why is the, the Jewish God of the Old Testament so cruel and so mean, punishing? And the rabbi said, because we'd rather leave the punishing to him. You think he doesn't punish, you end up being the punisher. Leave it to him. So it's really putting ourselves in the, in the proper, getting ourselves in, in the proper perspective. We are not the creator. We are not the provider. We are not. We respond. If God needs, we're here to serve him. In Judaism, part of what the Bible is telling us, the Jews questioned God and complained. And it makes it sound like, like we're just an impossible, whiny, rebellious people. There were 40 years in the desert. 40 years. And the Torah Bible tells us Ten times we question God. Ten times in 40 years? That's a pretty good marriage. Ten arguments in 40 years? Not bad. I think what, what the Bible is really telling us is not how bad we were, how real. When we thought something was wrong, we were... I don't know if the word is invited to disagree, but we didn't hesitate to disagree, to complain, to ask questions like, what's going on? What do you mean taking a bunch of people into a desert without water and without and no beef? <laughs> so although we paid a price for it, it didn't stop. It hasn't stopped even today. Why is there a Holocaust? I don't want to believe in God. Good for you. If God is real, don't defend him. Let him defend himself. Why are you his lawyer? So, questioning the morality and the goodness of nature, of creation, of God, that, that's what we're supposed to do. God says, I make people sick, but you heal them. I'll make people poor. You feed them. I'll put people in danger. You save them. We're not always on the same page, and we're not supposed to be. God has divine purposes. We have to look at things from a human perspective. So the first Jew, Abraham, God tells him, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom because they're exceedingly evil. And Abraham says, it can't be that evil. Who are you arguing with? 
But that's what God wants of us. So, if, we, if we're not perfectly comfortable with whatever God does, that's okay. God is real enough. You don't have to whitewash. And, and going to heaven, by the way, is a big part of it. How can you explain the justice of good people suffering, evil people succeeding? The answer is, oh, wait till they get to heaven. No. Don't wait till they get to heaven. Fix it now. Fix it here. So, it's not as bad as it sounds. What about all the good years in the desert? The good years are fine. It doesn't teach us anything. But the way to question God and demand that goodness be visible, not mysterious, and not wait till you get to heaven. That, that's our job, to make this world godly, not exchange it for a better world. And that's why the belief in, in the Messiah. The belief in Mashiach simply means we will succeed. The world will become better. Not miraculously, not magically, humanly, through human effort. Because that then the world has become better. If God just magically makes it better, we could have started off that way. A, a simple way of thinking about it is there is the physical, material world, there's the spiritual, and then there's the divine, the godly. The physical and the spiritual are all creations. Heaven and earth are both creations. What motivated creation is something divine, neither spiritual nor physical, or both? So, what, what Judaism is supposed to be teaching the world, before we became another religion, what Judaism is supposed to be sharing with the world is that God is not material, but he's material also. And he's not spiritual, although he's spiritual also. Then what is he? He's a bigger reality than both. So what we're here for is not to just live a physical existence and not to become spiritual. Because that's still selfish. You can have spiritual gluttony or spiritual greed. We're here for godly purpose. Godly means his needs. They're just him. It's neither physical nor spiritual. It's him. So the real issue is, what is he all about? And he tries to reveal himself if we would just listen. So when God says, um, don't be cruel to animals, and we think, ah, will that get me to heaven? 
God says, I, I don't think you heard me. Don't be cruel to animals. I need you to do that. And we say, right, and and then we'll get to heaven, right? Don't keep doing that. No. Uh, believe in one God and do not worship idols. Wow, that's deep theology. And God says, I can't even spell theology. Stop it. Don't have other gods. I'm jealous. And we say, you're not jealous. You're God. Grow up. <laughs> you can't be jealous. If he says he's jealous, he's jealous. What do you mean he can't be? He's God. So that's, I think, part of the objection to the Trinity. What is God not capable of something and he needs? God can't be in heaven and on earth at the same time. What's the problem? So he needs somebody to represent him on earth. He's present on earth. He's everywhere. Does he need humans to catch up and understand what he's talking about? Yes. So does he need teachers? Yes. Prophets? Yes. But their job is not to believe in him. Their job is to make him present, understandable, knowable. That's, that's what the Bible is all about. How we got it so twisted to, this is our ticket to heaven. Oh, come on, stop it. Let's, let's simplify it or de demystify it. Belief in God or not belief in God, what's the difference? The, the significance, the relevance. Stop calling it God. What is the need that motivates life? Who needs this? Who needs this? There's only one of two possibilities. We, the creation, or a creator. Or in different words, are we the only need? Or is there, is there another need? Believing in God means there is a divine need in addition to your need. Now you have a choice. Whose need are you going to respond to? Yeah. If you don't believe in God, there is no other need, which means your need is supreme, which means you're becoming a narcissist. And how is that going to affect society? Not so good. I was going to ask, without the faith in God, what are the consequences that you... You can actually see it. So, so look at our choice. Are our needs supreme? We're in big trouble. Serious trouble. If there isn't another need, and that's why people join religions, cults, armies, movements. We want to 
respond to a bigger need than my breakfast, lunch, and supper. Because instinctively we feel that there's got to be a bigger cause. A cause means a need. So believing in God simply means there's a need much bigger than yours that created the world. So the world was created out of his need, not out of mine. That's it. I'm not a narcissist anymore. Can't be. So the cure to narcissism is God. Religion turned God into narcissism. (laughs) I believe in God because it's good for me. Because he's going to get me to heaven. Well, then it's all about you again. So I think the good news when people are losing interest in religion is that maybe now they can think about God independent of religion. That's real. So religion is really man-made. God is not. So it's good that we don't limit God to our agenda. If he serves me, I believe in him. If he's not good for me, then who cares? It's dangerous. It's literally dangerous. And we see it. We see the evidence. Where there's no God, you become God. You become the he. Not good. So when you say, God, I believe in God, but he doesn't need anything. Well, then you don't have a God. You're back, you're back to you again. So if God doesn't need, then he's just a tool. And that's why Judaism is so forgiving. You sinned, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, probably. But in the meantime, there's so much you can do for him, so do it. So will that get me out of hell? Probably not. But you're necessary. In other words, it is so forgiving, you don't need to be forgiven. You're useful, you're important, and you're necessary, whether you're forgiven or not. So you never have somebody say, well, if I'm going to go to hell anyway, I might as well just sin. Yeah, for yourself, you might as well. But this is not about you. So if you didn't serve God yesterday, well, maybe today. No, today's not convenient. How about tomorrow? He's need, he needs something from you, and he's waiting. If you could do it today, it would be good. If not, okay, so do it tomorrow. But the notion that if you sin, you're damned, and it's all over, that's, that's not forgiving. Instinctively, everybody has their truth. 
So identify what you consider true and rethink it. But everybody begin, every, all science begins with an axiom. You, you got to start with something that just is. Then you try to understand it and explain it, whatever. But if you can't start with something that you know for sure, then there is no wisdom, there's no learning, there's no, there's nothing. So everybody, science has its God, nature. Nature is what it is. Let's try to understand it. That's science. So what is the God of science? The universe. The universe is. If you start, well, maybe it's not. Oh, now you're a philosopher. <laughs> that's, not, that's not science anymore. Now you're being philosophical. Science says the world is real. Let's try to understand it. Judaism says, whoever created the world is even more real. Because the world once wasn't. Even science agrees with that. So if it once wasn't, how real is it? God always was. It's really not that complicated. Keep it simple. Because truth is always simple. There is a creation who's the creator. I don't believe there's a creator. Don't be ridiculous, okay? <laughs> well, how do you know? Can you prove you never saw? Stop it. If there's a creation, there's a creator. Now figure out who he is or what he is. But to say, I don't believe, <laughs> you don't believe. You got a, a cute analogy. An explorer comes back from Australia, the first explorer. And he tells you that there's an animal that carries its babies in a pouch. And you say, you don't expect me to believe that. How naive do you think I am? There's no such animal. Are you being intelligent? Better, if you say, what proof do you have? He says, oh, I saw it. I'm sorry. Don't believe it. Are you being intelligent? You're not being intelligent. Because you have no intelligent reason to doubt it. Do you? The reason you are doubting it is because you never heard that before. So imagine saying to an explorer, oh, I never heard that before. <laughs> I'm an explorer. My job is to tell you things you never heard before. Otherwise, I'm not much of an explorer. I went around the mountain, I didn't see anything. <laughs> I never heard of such a thing. Yeah, yeah, you just did. That's how you learn. So the objection, I never heard such a thing, I never saw such a thing. What kind of objection is that? So if I tell you that God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai on the sixth day of the Hebrew month of, of, uh, of Sivan, and you say, oh no, oh no, what is your problem? What's your problem? Were you there? 
and know for a fact that nothing happened? God created the world in six days. Oh, where's the evidence? Why do I need evidence? Do I have a problem with that? No, creating the world has got to take at least two weeks. Come on, what, what is your problem? The question really is, I mean, if you're being intelligent, and a guy comes from Australia and says there's an animal that carries its babies in a pocket, the intelligent question is, how does it give birth? Does it lay eggs? Is it a mammal? Is it a, what, what is it? Tell me more. What does it eat? Wouldn't that be an intelligent question? So somebody says, God created the world in six days. I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe that? You haven't even asked an intelligent question yet. What would an intelligent question be? What's God? What do you mean by God? So if you keep it simple, it is simple. This thing about I choose to believe, I choose not to believe, that's a mind game. If there is an animal that carries its babies in its pouch, I don't care what you believe or don't believe. There is a kangaroo. Unfortunately, we're taught, literally told, at universities and high schools, doubting is a sign of intelligence. It's not. It's not. It's a sign of insecurity. You're so afraid to be wrong. What? People lie to you? How did you, how, how did you develop this phobia? You're so afraid to be wrong. Why? Because you were told there was a tooth fairy and it turns out there isn't? And you're not going to let that happen again? <laughs> so, intelligently, when you hear something you've never heard before, you know nothing of, do you accept it and celebrate it as new information until proven wrong? Or do you doubt it until proven true? What's, what's the intelligent way to go? If we doubt everything we hear until proven, we would still be living in caves. We would be living in caves if we couldn't learn anything that we didn't already know. Like, for example, a six-year-old. You tell a six-year-old something, and the six-year-old says, Oh, no, I never heard that. Never. <laughs> in all your six years, you never... And anything you haven't heard in your first six years cannot be true. <laughs> Come on, that is not intelligent. So, if God needs his world to become godly, you got to stop and think, what are, what are Buddhists teaching? Are they, are they doing what God wants? You can't ignore it. There are a lot of them. So if they're not doing what God wants, we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. So what can we tell the Buddhists about God that they need to know? They don't have a Bible. What could they tell us about? About? Exactly. 
but their their expertise is not God. Right? Their expertise is souls, reincarnation. Can we learn things from them? Of course. But is that all that God wants? They don't have that tradition. So we got to bring it to them. Get them on board with God. Whether they're reincarnated or not. <laughs> We would love to influence the world. But not if you're going to shoot at me. <laughs> so for most of our history, we, we couldn't offer anything because we would... But today, the world is fascinated by Judaism. Not to convert, just to know what God wants. So the reason we're not... Um, yeah, the, the reason, no, we, we would knock on doors, but not to convert you. You don't have to be Jewish, on the contrary. If what God wants is really true, then it's true of everybody without conversion. The compassion. If you have compassion for your fellow man, you want them to learn the truths that you hold dear. Or the truths that they need to know, which is even better. What I hold dear, that's, that's my problem. But what you need to know, and I have that information, I'm obligated to tell you. So we would love to be the teachers of the world and share with the world what happened at Mount Sinai. Make everybody Jewish? Not necessary. In fact, God doesn't want everybody Jewish. That would be redundant. So, are we missionaries? In a sense. But more in the sense of a teacher than an exclusive religion. Not really. It's more a philosophy of life than a divine revelation. There's no divine revelation. And if you really want to know how interesting this is, Hinduism or Buddhism, the, East, the Eastern philosophies, are the philosophy of Abraham before God revealed himself. So it's the philosophy that Abraham came up with. And it doesn't have a God because God hadn't spoken to him yet. They're actually the children of Abraham who moved to the East. So most of the Asian world are descendants of Abraham. They're more our cousins than the Arabs. Or half-brother or whatever. Brahman is Ibrahim. So the, the, the source of that philosophy is Ibrahim. But it's before God revealed his side of the story. Like everybody knows there was a flood. What does the Bible tell us? 
God's side of the story. You know the story, but you never heard it from God's perspective. So you know there are souls, you know that they come, you know that they go, you know that they're sometimes recycled or reincarnated. But why? Well, that's what we need to add. That's all you need to do. I think if we make God more central and less a, less of a valet butler position, it, it, everything will fall into place by itself. So yes, we disagree with a lot of things. Um, celibacy. Not, not into that. <laughs> For anybody, not a good idea. Just not a good idea. And, and, and there's, no, there's no source for it in the Bible. So, um, Eternal damnation? What kind of sick idea is that? Eternal damnation means evil is eternal? How are we allowed to believe that? Yeah. Um, multiple deities? Come on. But rather than focus on what they're doing wrong... Focus on what is right, and when they get into serving God properly, everything will everything will straighten itself out. So rather than go to holy war and have jihads and just share the truth, criticizing and condemning doesn't get you anywhere. Is anyone beyond the pale? Is anyone not redeemable or reachable? I think the biggest fanatics would be the best if they just find out what's true. They're devoted, they're passionate, they're dangerous. <laughs> Imagine if they were that passionate about the right thing. They would be the best of the best. So, don't give up on anybody. That's true. The second commandment Thou shalt have no other gods, which literally means don't get distracted. Don't get distracted with things that are going to fade. They're temporary. You'll outlive them. So don't, 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 get, don't get too serious about those things. Stick to what is forever. And in the last couple of decades... We have been so fascinated by new ideas, new experiences, new ever. You know, st stick to what, stick to what works. Don't experiment with life. Life is what it is. You know? So the the more we we. The more we look at the world through God's eyes, the closer we get to the truth. Partner with Rabbi Friedman. Visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support.